while we're at it, we're, we're concluding this week our series on This Is Us, and it's about relationships and having good relationships. Uh, God didn't want anybody to be alone. He sets the solitary in families. Two are better than one, for they have a great reward, and over and over, God is a family man. He puts people together. He loves connection. So we've been talking about a lot of issues that face people in relationship, not just marriage, but friends, business associates, uh, people who are engaged. You know, you get a little timeshare there in order to try to figure out what makes this person tick and what are they like. And we talked about last week, fear, fear. So we talked about how feelings, certain feelings that kind of fuel our fear. And one of those feelings was anger. And then we went on to talk about the importance of being honest with God, with ourselves, and those we're in relationship with. And we said very clearly, never make a significant decision based on fear. God does not guide you. There are many ways God guides. I've got a book on how God guides out there. But fear is not one of them. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a well-disciplined mind. So fear is not the element God ever uses to direct your life. In fact, his direction may lead you right into what you fear most, and you have to face it head on. That's why every time you'll read God saying, be strong, be of good courage. Why, Lord? Because you're going to need it when you see where I'm putting you. And every time God did it, he kept saying, but be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So today, we're going to look at anger as we close this out. And, and maybe a little more in-depth. How do you handle, handle anger in your life, right? That can be a devastating thing, anger, on those that you love, that you're close to, your spouse, your children, or even a close friend. It's important how we handle anger. So in any relationship, here's a takeaway, in any relationship, conflict is inevitable. But combat is not you got to learn how to argue without assassinating the other person. When you have conflict, you either have a breakthrough or a breakdown. And the key is how you handle anger in your relationships. <clears throat> the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Proverbs 11, verse 29 says, The fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. He shall be the servant of a wiser man. So when it comes to dealing with conflict, everybody in this room falls into one of two categories. You either tend to be a passive person or an aggressive person. You either, res you know, you resist in conflict or you run. You either fight or you flee. And in most relationships, one person tends towards being very aggressive. I mean, they can use their emotions and words to cut you down. And the other person tends towards being silent, just kind of sitting there passive and taking it. So you're either a skunk or you're a turtle. And with a skunk, you know exactly where you stand. And when they're upset, they don't mind stinking up the whole place the family, the business office, a church team, it can be anything. They want to let you know how they feel. Now, the, you know, the environment is filled with visible tension when the skunk is around because they spew, and it spreads. You can be in a neighborhood and smell a skunk that's been killed a mile away, right? Smell up the whole, the whole, the whole neighborhood. 
uh, I don't know, two years ago, I don't know, Cindy went out on the back porch about 10 o'clock to to give the cat some food or something, and she walked right into a skunk that was on the porch. It was right at the door. She screamed, scared the skunk, and the skunk sprayed, and it hit the door, and it hit her leg, and it got inside the door, and it I'm in the kitchen and I hear this. I think like somebody has assaulted her. Ah! She runs through the house. I thought, my God, what what has happened? And it was it was a skunk sprayer. And it took us about two different paintings to scrape a door down to the wood because that oil penetrates and we couldn't get that stink out of the back of the house for a month it was there. She tried every odor remover, stain remover possible. Well, that's kind of the way it is with some people. They stink up a place bad, and it takes a long time to get rid of it. Now, some of you are turtles, and when conflict comes, you pull back in your shell. You withdraw. You become distant. You become cold. You back out of the relationship. You avoid the skunk at all costs. Now, the idea in anger, biblically, is not to eliminate anger. That is impossible. But learning how to express anger appropriately can benefit you and the other person. That we want to look at. Now, you would never know it, but Cindy and I are exact opposites in almost every way except our commitment to the Lord. And I'll tell you something. In this room, the one thing we all have in common and the only thing we have in common is Jesus. Uh, You don't have to like what I like, you know, and vice versa. But the one common denominator that unifies us is Jesus. It's not your view on every issue. That's going to keep people divided forever. You know, purpose unites people. Issues divide people. And if you watch too much news on any different channel, it's going to be divisive always. So that's not God's plan. God says, hey, we're not in here based on issue agreement. We're in here based on Jesus agreement. You know, when I get to heaven... God's not going to wonder, did I vote Democrat or Republican, Independent, Tea Party, or did I stay home? The ticket to heaven is Jesus. I mean, I think sometimes we need to clarify that. You can be wrong on a lot of things, but you can't be wrong on Jesus. You've got to be right there. So everybody knows it takes commitment to make a marriage work, but the same can be said for other relationships you're in. If there is not a firm commitment with those you're in relationship with, you won't be able to move forward very much when you face major anger issues. So what do you do when you're angry? First of all, I think simple. Admit I'm mad. Admit anger. Don't deny it. Just admit it. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 in the Message Bible says, what this adds up to is this. No more lies. No more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other. After all, when you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. So this is a constructive way to get angry and not be destructive. So anger itself is not a sin. God gets angry. 375 times in the Old Testament it says God got angry. Jesus got angry. He didn't sin. In fact, there are some things you ought to get angry about. The traffic on 281. I don't know. You know, I mentioned last week, anger means I care. 
When you have the idea Christians should never get angry, that's unreasonable and unbiblical. Anger is not the issue. It's what you do with the anger that makes it a sin or not. I can learn to be angry without sinning. It's wrong to deny when you're angry. I can't work on it until I admit it. And boy, it can do a lot of damage. Anger and depression, I am told, often go hand in hand. Depression is often frozen rage. Angry feeling stuff down, taking itself out on my body in the form of depression. So stop saying, why am I depressed? And start asking, what am I angry about? Because often it's the real issue. What am I angry about and don't want to admit? So you've got to admit you're angry. You can't get help from God, from anybody, till you admit you have a problem. Number two, I understand my anger. Proverbs 19, verse 11 in the Living Bible. A wise man restrains his anger and will overlook a fault. This is to his credit. Now, that's a tough one to follow. We all want to defend ourselves when we feel wronged, right? Sure. But, yeah? Well, yeah, duh, unless you're a doormat. So how do you obey that one? Remember last week I talked about the importance of self-examination, and it's a key. Ask questions like, why am I angry? Why does this situation upset me so much? See, anger is a warning light that lets me know there's something very deep going inside of me that's causing me to be upset. We get irritated often over inconsequential things, but that's not the real issue, is it? Um, I told uh, Judy about a month ago, I remember I came into the office in the morning and I said, Judy, uh, I'm in a grouchy mood. It's not related to you or anybody up here. I got a lot of things on the plate and I'm dealing with them and I'm, I'm having male menopause. I am not in a good mood, but don't don't pay me any attention at all. Now, that's a good warning to say, nothing's wrong with you. I got a lot of issues on the plate, and I'm a little bit grouchy. No sin, just a little grouchy. Is it okay to be a little grouchy, but not this, nothing's wrong, see? It's, it's touching some deep issue in your heart, usually. So you got a decision. Am I just going to get angry, or am I going to go to the root of my anger? If we don't get to the root, the real reason, it's going to keep surfacing, and you're going to have to go through this over and over and over, and you're not going to have a breakthrough in that area of your life. Arguments, listen, this is true. Arguments rarely start with the real issue. I'm already in a, ba I'm in a bad place, and you left your shorts in the floor, or you didn't put something up, and that triggered it. But it wasn't the real issue. Just really dumb things that leave the other person asking, Where'd that come from? <laughs> that wasn't the real issue. Yeah. There are three phases of an argument generally. There's first recognition. That's where sharp words get exchanged. Or one of you looks at the other one wrong, and it's a sign of recognition. There's a problem, Houston, and I need to deal with it. Secondly, the next phase is called the reaction phase. That's where you start to talk about it, and sometimes it gets allowed, especially if you're a skunk. And third, the last phase is the resolution. That's where you continue to hang in there until you decide what it is you're both upset about and what needs to change to resolve the conflict because we want to resolve it. The problem is most people stop at the reaction phase. They stop at the loud, angry, hostile stage. 
but you got to get to resolution if you're going to have a good relationship. And that takes a little bit of time and being really honest with each other. There's just no other way to do it. It takes time, right? Takes time. Well, you guys are very excited this morning, aren't you? Is that turkey settling on you? Let's take a look at some basic root causes for anger that come up in relationships. Do a little self-examination and see if anything I say stands out in your life. How about, number one, feeling unappreciated or unaccepted. When somebody in the family feels rejected for who we are or what we are, or when people in a relationship criticize us or make fun of us, hey, we get angry. Never compare people you're in a relationship with to others. Why can't you be like, whoa, stop it. You mean I'm not good enough? It's devastating. It's rejection, and it makes everybody angry. Second, feeling unappreciated. When those that we're in relationship with take us for granted, and they don't value our effort, our sacrifice, we get angry. And a lot of women feel angry because they're at the bottom of the pile of their husband's attention. Everything else comes before they do. And there are probably many women in here angry about that. I mean, you know, we need to let our wives know they cook a great Thanksgiving meal uh, instead of burping and heading to the lazy boy to watch a ball game. We say, honey, that was an amazing meal. Thanks for the big sacrifice you made with all the people we had to put through here and all the cleanup involved. Great job. Great job. Tell, tell your team that occasionally when that happens as well. Everybody likes to be appreciated. Third, can come out of feeling unsupported when we feel like the people in our family are working against us instead of with us and they don't share their load of responsibilities that makes us angry if the wife has to do all the problems with the kids she's going to feel unsupported by the husband well then there's the argument between the wife and husband who's going to be the bad guy who's going to be the good guy you can't always be the bad one the bad person you have to switch back and forth sometimes so it's fair because the wife doesn't want to feel like, well, I have to do all the correcting or I have to do everything. Well, that leads to a little angry feeling about not being supported, right? Maybe you're the one always checking in on a friend, but they never check in on you. No, well, that's a possibility. You're thinking about, do they care about how I'm doing? Let me pause just a minute. My mother, who's in heaven, Miss Betty. Mom, mom had many wonderful attributes. She really loved the Lord, and she, she was a hard worker. But mom always wanted to be famous, wanted to be focused of attention, always wanted to be around uh, hotshot people. All her life, she wanted to be like that. And the, every time mom ever came, she would always, as Cindy will tell you, she, mother would always want, to know who, want us to know who she had just met, who she was with, who in the ministry or national celebrity she was with or whatever. Not once, not once has my mother ever said, Ricky, how are you doing? <laughs> Never. But my mother has a sister, still alive, Aunt Donna. And anytime Aunt Donna was here or with us anywhere, she'd sit right by me and she'd put that hand on my back and she'd rub on my back. She said, sweetheart, how are you doing? Shoot, I felt good. Keep rubbing my back. I feel good. <laughs> you know what she was doing? She was nurturing. She was nurturing. It wasn't about her. It was about me. And who doesn't like that? Occasionally, huh? I'm just saying, it's like once in a while, how are you doing? 
Well, pretty good. If I get rid of you, I'd be doing a lot better. I'm doing, doing pretty good. Yeah. So let people know they are appreciated for what they do. You know, don't you have to always be the one who initiates or checking in on people or helping them with the kids? And number four, feeling unprotected. Women particularly want to feel secure. When situations in our lives seem out of control, we feel like other people don't care about our needs. We feel vulnerable. That makes us feel unprotected, and we usually get angry. And then feeling uncertain. You know, we, wanna, we don't feel we can trust somebody else in the relationship and maybe family or people you're related to, and they're not telling us the truth, and we get angry. I think a simplistic way to look at root causes of anger is, is real simple. I'm either hurt, I'm frustrated, or I'm in fear, and that's causing me to approach things angry. Now, the third step, when you're facing anger, deal with it fast. Deal with it as quick as you can. Listen to Ephesians 4. Verse 26 and 27, this is the New Living Translation. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Excuse me, pause. Anybody watch any football this past, this, this weekend? How many, I watched the game lost and the key player ejected because he got mad at getting pushed, so he swung his fist around, automatic rejection, you're out of the game, touchdown recalled, the game lost. That guy threw away the game and the whole year because he couldn't control his anger. Now, the refs will let you push each other and that, but you swing a fist and they say, all the commentators, you're dead. You never do that for any reason at all. You don't want to get ejected, right? You see it in basketball. You see it in sports. You see it a lot of times. They can't control their anger. Road rage. You can't control, and somebody gets shot and killed. Somebody can't control their anger. So he says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. So we're supposed to resolve each day's anger as it comes. Don't go to bed with things unresolved. Now, by the way, that might not be possible in every case, but the, the, the heart of that message is, don't stay mad. Get over this thing quickly or it will fester and go down in you and it'll, it'll allow bitterness and conflict to come up in you and more anger, you know. So don't go to bed with things unresolved. Stay at the table. Talk out the issue until real feelings come to the surface and some solution gets hammered out and that takes a little bit of time. And many of you are not willing to put in that time, okay? Don't go to bed with unresolved anger. Why? Job 18, verse 4. It's kind of funny. God says, you may tear out your hair in anger, but will that destroy the earth? I don't think so. Will it make the rocks tremble? Mm-mm. Just going to make you lose hair. That's a reality check on your place in the universe. <laughs> Some of you think you're the center, but you're going to find out, no, nothing's going to change. You're just going to have less hair. Nothing's going to change. It's a waste of time. The Mayo Clinic had an article entitled Anger Management, Questions Answered. And the article describes anger like this, and I quote, Anger is a natural response to a perceived threat. It causes your body to release adrenaline, your muscles tighten, your heart rate and blood pressure increase, your senses become more acute, and your face and hands flush. 
So it's important to recognize what's happening to your body when you get angry. Your body was not meant to operate like that for a sustained period. It's detrimental to your health. Your body goes into high alert stage. Now that's to allow you to protect yourself or jumping out of the way of a car. Anger prepares us and leaves us very, very powerful. But the problems begin when you use that power the wrong way. Then it becomes dangerous. Anger expressed inappropriately can destroy a marriage, life, children, jobs, relationships, even your health. It's interesting. Did you know most murders are committed by family members? Look left, look right. Yeah. Who for one small moment allowed that powerful emotion to get out of control. Don't we watch it on the news almost every night? Some relative stabbed somebody else in the family or some wife shot the husband. They got out of control. They got a little high on alcohol, got mad. It got out of control and a murder. Or we read about somebody that has incredible wealth or they have a future and they get jealous over some lover with their ex-mate or something and they go and murder and they spend the rest of their life in jail. I'm thinking, you idiot. You know, why would you do murder? How about divorce? I'm, I'm just being serious. See, it, it didn't get here. It, it, that brain stopped to function when that anger got out of control. Now, since anger is learned, and you probably learned it in your family or the group you're with, it can be unlearned. You can unlearn destructive patterns of expressing your anger. You don't have to throw dishes and pans. Remember, anger is a state of physical readiness because your body is in a jacked-up position. It becomes more and more destructive to your physical body. That's why God says, come on, get that thing out fast. Out, get, get rid of it. Unresolved conflict keeps growing, and unexpressed anger becomes bitterness, and that can lead to hate and hostility. But it doesn't have to be that way. So the Bible says I have to admit my anger. The Bible says I need to understand my anger. The Bible says I need to deal immediately with my anger and my temper. And fourth, the Bible says we need to learn to control our anger. Listen to Proverbs 29, verse 11 in the Passion Translation. You can recognize fools by the way they give full vent to their rage and let their words fly. But the wise bite their tongue and hold back all they could say. Well, that was a good lesson for me growing up being younger, to not say everything you're thinking. Don't do that in marriage either. You got two seconds to make a decision. And it'd be better to be slow on it than fast because you can't get those words back. And they can destroy people, children, or a good relationship. So, you know, if it's a a normal mode for you to let every thought fly out of your mouth during a heated conversation, God says, you're a fool. You're not using wisdom. So let me give you some practical tools real quick to help you the next time you get in with this kind of a jacked up, angry position or conversation. Here's a good one. Remember the cost. Everybody knows what the price of something is. The cost. Proverbs 29, 22. A hot-tempered man starts fights and gets into all kinds of trouble. So the outcome is not going to be good if you're hot-tempered. In the Bible, for to be an elder, one of the qualifications, not soon angry. If you've got a quick temper, you shouldn't be a leader. Not a quick temper, you'll do a lot of damage. 
okay? People with hot temper do foolish things. So you better realize the cost before you lose your cool. Proverbs 11, verse 29. The fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. He shall be the servant of a wiser man. So remember the cost before you vent that anger. You don't have to stop your car and get out with road rage. Live, live another, it isn't worth it. It just isn't worth it. Watch it. Second, uh, reflect before you react. In other words, think before you speak. James 1 verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. That's, if you're quick to listen and slow to speak, you're going to be slow to get angry. So God says, the only thing I want you to be quick at is listening. But be slow to speak, slow to get mad. Now, there are things you can get mad about. Injustice makes me angry. Uh, The abuse of a child makes me angry. Uh, When somebody has cancer and then they fight it and they die in their youth. Or I was watching a program where the mother had brain cancer. She died in nine months. And then her two-year-old child came down with it. And, And nine months after that, the child died. I was mad at cancer. You know, outrage. There are just some things righteously to get mad about. People who can't drive on 281 make, make me mad. So don't say or do things you're going to regret later. Your tongue is a powerful weapon. It can bring great harm to yourself and someone else. Proverbs 18, verse 21, Message Bible. Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Wow. The quickest way to cut your own throat is with your sharp tongue. So think before you speak. And parents, that's really important. When your child has pushed all your buttons and they're on your last nerve, pause before you speak. Don't say everything you're thinking. You know, correct for sure, but speak to the root issue that the child is dealing with. And every parent goes through it. Every parent or foster parent. It's impossible not to. Cindy was really good uh, when we were young and had little children, little girls, how I speak to the girls when they do something wrong. And it was never to condemn. I would say that's not who you are. That's not what you are capable of doing. That's not the way the old me would have said what I said, which could have been destructive. And those kids will remember those words Years and years from now. So I don't want my words to kill. I want them to bring life. So I want to pause. And if you have to err a little bit on mercy, more than, more than you think you should, go for it. If you're going to make a mistake, make it on mercy. Don't make it on judgment. God, God loves mercy. Okay, so you can't, you say, well, I think he's just extreme on mercy. Well, God's very extreme on mercy, and everybody in this room ought to be glad. I'm glad. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Third, you release your anger appropriately, Ephesians 4, 29. Don't use bad language. Say only what is good and helpful to those you're talking to and what will give them a blessing. So be helpful, not harmful. It's all in how you respond, you know. You be brief, be specific, and be humble. Uh, a specific importance is humility. Listen to this one, Proverbs 13:10, the Living Bible. Pride leads to arguments. Be humble. 
Take advice. Become wise. See, I, I remember reading in that verse as well, uh, strife and contention cometh only, only by pride. Pride's the root. I'm not going to let you be one up on me. I'm not going to let you beat me in this argument on this issue. Pride, strife and contention in a marriage, the root of it is pride. Don't know where yet, but it's in there, and that's what God said. That's infallible. Strife and contention cometh only by pride. So pride's the root of every argument. When you're prideful in an argument, you only prolong the thing. Humility can serve as a shortcut to lowering the temperature of the argument. And here's how. Proverbs 15, verse 1. Remember, Proverbs is the book of wisdom. A soft answer turns away wrath. When somebody gets jacked up, so does their voice. Lower yours. If you're responding to somebody, a mate, an associate, somebody on the phone, go way down. I mean, go just almost a whisper. They have to lower their voice to hear you. They have to. It's a law. Like God says, give, you shall receive. That's a law. Uh, What you sow, you reap. That's a law. A soft answer turns away wrath. That's smart. You, you are, the skunk's not in control. You are. It, it, it has the effect you want. Your child, your teenage daughter's freaking out. Lower your voice. Don't get into a scream match. Drop it down, and it turns away wrath. That's kind of cool, you know. How come I never heard any of this stuff in church I went to? All we did was sing Beulah Land and I'll Fly Away. That's, I, don't, I don't think I learned anything. So in any argument, there's some trigger words, right? Fighting words. And if you use these, I urge you to stop it immediately. Put yourself in the other person's shoes and think how those words would make you feel. Let me mention the five, four or five of them. Number one, don't compare. Why can't you be like your sister or your brother? Well, God didn't make them alike. They have a different purpose. They have different giftings. They have different interests. They're not, God doesn't produce clones. So they're not supposed to be the same. Stop comparing people. Don't do that in a a relationship. Why can't you be like my ex-wife? Well, if you love her so much, why don't you take the hussy back? (laughs) Stupid stuff. Number two, don't condemn. You always, really. You never, really. I mean, once in a while I get it right, right? You, you never change people by condemning them. It doesn't work. Condemnation never motivated me or anybody else to change, ever. You know, so around church here at Summit, we don't want to condemn. Why? We want you to change for the better, right? People change when we show them how to change, when we share good news with them. And here's what you can become, and here's what we see in you. Here's what Jesus sees in you. You could become a lot better in this area. Let's look at what the Word says. Let's apply it to this area of your life. John 3, verse 17 says, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. How many churches didn't get the email? He didn't send Jesus to condemn the world. His own team wanted to call fire down from heaven and burn up Las Vegas. No, it wasn't Vegas. It was Capernaum or somewhere. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. And Jesus says, hey, stop it. That's not my spirit. What spirit's operating in that? I didn't come to destroy people's lives. I came to save them. The whole purpose of Christmas is God sending a solution to our problem, a a savior, a substitute. If you want to be like Jesus, you got to eliminate condemnation from your vocabulary. 
Number three, don't command. Don't end an argument by, I demand you do what I say. That's not going to end well. Not going to happen. Number four, don't challenge. Don't give a threat or an ultimatum. One thing I remember learning, I think it was a marriage seminar 30 years ago or something we were at, and I never forgot the thought. Never in a, in a relationship, marriage with your children, never give an ultimatum. You may have a thought in your mind about limits or whatever, but don't put an ultimate, it will go bad. It, it, when you put law on somebody, it produces the opposite. In Romans 7, it says, uh, the law uh, persuades people to sin, provokes people to sin. It doesn't make people do good. The law activates the passion of sin. So when you give an ultimatum, somebody threatens me, I'm going to call you. I'm calling the cards. We're gonna, let's go for it. I win. You say, well, you might lose. I might, but we're not going to play this game. And so I'm saying, don't do that. I learned, don't give an ultimatum. There is an exception to that. If you're an employer and you've got a non-performing employee, you have to give them an opportunity to change. But if they cannot measure up or produce, then there is an ultimatum. We're going to have to make another plan. That's different. That's not a relationship. That's an employer-employee uh, deal where you have to give somebody a warning that this can't go on this way. Does that, that make sense? But in marriage and engagement with children in a family, don't use ultimatums. It doesn't produce anything good. And don't confuse, number five, ch changing the subject because you're losing the argument. That's cute. Okay, I haven't found the perfect marriage or the perfect relationship ever. Every relationship has. If you married Billy Graham, you'd find faults. Even healthy relationships have arguments. You can have conflict without combat. You can argue without assassinating. And some of you tried all these things and you say, well, Rick, I just can't change. I just can't get control of my anger. Yes, you can. You don't want to. Yes, you can. I remember Casey Treat, everybody knows Casey, came in. He was a drug addict and he used to sell drugs and they put him as a teenager in a drug program with an African-American ex-Marine who had done prison time, who was their leader. And that, that, uh, that Marine looked at old skinny, druggy Casey Treat and said, Big Red, because he had red hair, Big Red, you can change. You can change. He had been changed. Others had been changed. God has the power to change anybody. Amen. See, that is a good news. You can change. Your situation can change. Yeah, it can. That's what I love about God. Any, anything is possible. Anything can happen, and it probably will. So it, it takes more than willpower and self-help. It takes God's power in your life to break the power of that uncontrolled, unbridled anger, which brings me to the last point for practical reasons, how to control anger. Rely on the Lord's help. I need help, Lord. Help me. We all deal with anger, and we all have fallen short in how we handle anger. Most of us know we need to improve. It's a challenge. Romans 7 verse 15 says, I don't really understand myself for, you know, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Now, here's a guy, Paul, being honest with himself. And here's the great news. This is where being honest with yourself and having a great relationships around you that holds you accountable and walking in humility come into play. Look at what the Word says about relying on the Lord. Romans 15 verse 5, may God who gives patience 
steadfastness, and encouragement help you to live in complete harmony with each other, each with the attitude of Christ towards the other. So how does Jesus help me heal my anger? He goes to the root cause. He heals the hurts. He relieves the frustrations. He helps you walk through the fears of this life. And when Jesus fills you with his love, it pushes out everything else. I've discovered, I don't know if you'll agree with me, I've discovered when I'm filled with anger, anything can set me off. Anything. But when I'm filled with the love of Jesus, nothing can get to me, cannot irritate me. There'll be a lot more grace I can extend to others on those days. There'll be a lot more understanding of what the other person may be feeling. The tendency to overreact will lessen. When the world squeezes you, What's inside comes out. But when you're filled with the love of Jesus and the world puts pressure on you, what's going to come out? Jesus and his love. Maybe part of the reason for your anger is that you're expecting other people to meet a need only God can meet in your life. I hear people say, well, I need someone to complete me. No, there ain't no such person but Jesus. There's no woman hot enough. There's no man buff enough to complete you. They're broken and fallen. You just hadn't seen it yet. And the only person that can actually meet that full need of my life is Jesus. And that's the one missing ingredient. That's it. We're imperfect human beings. And there's needs that only our God can fill. And so I want you just to, here's a little personal testimony. I came out of the military. I came out of a military family. We thought cussing was English. This is a military town. Am I talking to the Girl Scouts here? What, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, we, that, that, I, that's all I can remember ever. I mean, not, not, not like anger. It's just like it was sort of the vocabulary. And I, you grow up and you, you're around that in the military all your life. And then when the rock and roll band is the same thing, that, that was just the highest level of education <laughs> were four-letter words. It, intellect wasn't real good. And that's the way I grew up. Then I became a Christian late in life, nearly 30. And well, guess what? I still had a, a mouth that could be uh, unrighteous. <laughs> yes, I could give you a good cousin. Yes, sir. I could. And so I found that if somebody stopped real quick in front of me and I had to break, somebody did something stupid, boom, something would, because involuntarily I'd built a habit. It just came right out. And I thought, I can't, I can't do this. Somebody's going to be in this car, and that's going to happen to me, and that's bad. I've got to deal with this. So every time it happened, I would say out loud, and I made sure whether anybody was in the car or not, I'd say, Lord, I forgive me for that word. Help me deal with this, this profanity. I've, I rebuke it in Jesus' name, and I pray that you'll give me control of that mouth. Now, it was like three months, and I noticed it wasn't happening hardly ever. Of course, I hadn't been on 281 yet, but it was not happening. I'm teasing on that. And I, and I finally, it didn't happen at all. So if I say something bad, it's because I choose to. I just threw that out for this crowd. Okay. I want you to hear something you wouldn't normally hear in church. Okay, that's fine. But, the, but that would be the truth. It, it doesn't have control anymore. So you can deal with it. That anger, the same thing. It's not going to go away in one day, one prayer, but it will go away. You'll be able to control that tongue and bite it. And then if it slips out, you apologize. Just immediately apologize. Say, that's the wrong tone. I need control on this. I'm dealing with it. No victory yet, but I'm there. Lord, help me control that anger. And, and boy, people love it when you 
acknowledge a fault. People do because they got faults too and they love to and you encourage somebody else and I'll guarantee you the Lord will help you until you're able to control that tongue and bite it and just not say anything and particularly with our children, particularly with our spouse, just don't say something you regret. I am not going to my deathbed. I, I regret saying that, having said that. So God forgives, but you can make a new start today. I want you to bow your head with me in prayer. Now, if the truth were known, there are many of you here this morning, you're struggling with conflict or you're struggling with the pain of conflict. Some of you feel unaccepted. Jesus accepts you and loves you just like you are. Some of you feel unappreciated. Hebrews 6, verse 10, God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown towards his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. He will remember Jesus knows your value. Maybe you feel unsupported. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you feel unprotected. God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Feel, some of you may feel uncertain today. Jesus says, come to me if you're weary, if you're tired. I'll give you rest. So I'm going to ask you in your own heart, quietly, pray a simple prayer in your heart, just sitting there inside your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, replace my anger with your love. Help me to treat people the way you would. Help me to have the attitude, the mind, the thinking of Jesus Christ. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.